Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. Hey, Gain, Grow, Retain. I wanted to tell you about I Digress, which is hosted by Troy Sandage and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. It's got shows under 30 minutes, and it helps to eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion in your business uh, through a series of frameworks and strategies. Um, he talks all about scalable and sustainable success. He hits on things like marketing, sales, customer success, and more. So go check out I Digress and listen to I Digress wherever you get your podcasts. All right. We're back with another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. This is our CS Blueprint. We are missing our our third musketeer here. Uh, Christy is is out right before the, uh, the holiday here for Thanksgiving. So it's just Jay and I, but... We figured we'd hop on and start um, recording. We're going to roll out a new format as we go forward with the, the blueprint. We would uh, record these on Wednesdays. We were trying to do them live on LinkedIn, and uh, we're going to try a little something different. We're going to record. We're going to come up with some uh, topics and some categories that we're going to go through. So, um, Jay, I don't know if you're in that doc right now that we have a Google Doc running, but I actually threw something at the top that I think would be fun to talk through. Um, if you click on the SaaS Capital Survey. Okay. So- I just saw this come out. It came out maybe a week ago or so, actually. Uh, and so it's relatively new, but SAS Capital, uh, they're a, a PE firm based out of the Midwest, actually. I think Ohio, uh, if I remember correctly, Cincinnati. Uh, I might be making that up, but um, they tend to do a survey every year. Um, this year, they had 1,500 respondents. It's their 10th annual survey. They completed it in March of 2021. Or, yeah, 2021. Um, but it takes them a while to go through and, and look at some of the data. So there's a couple of interesting things in here that I just want to call out. So uh, one thing is that they said, uh, one of the questions they ask is what percentage of revenue do SaaS companies spend on customer support and customer success? And so it says the median percent of annual recurring revenue spent on customer support or success is 11%, which is up 10% from the previous year. Um, and so, you know, I know that's always a, it's, uh, sometimes the, those metrics or these surveys, right? It's, you know, some companies might put certain costs in certain areas. Um, it might be, you know, different, but I think by and large, it's just interesting to see um, some of these metrics that stand out. So I don't know, is 11%, does that seem high to you or low to you? Or does that seem right in, right in line? I mean, I guess, I guess it seems right in line. I'm more interested in the, the median percent of annual recurring revenue spent on cost of goods sold around 15%. I think that's normal. I, I'm, I'm sort of hung up on the fact that this company grouped support and customer success in one bucket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe I, I haven't even gotten past that yet. And I'm not saying that's, that's wrong, but I think that is the, the problem, right? Is that do, do, do companies really see the difference between support and customer success? Because if you're putting them in the same bucket, it's like two different things. One is a go-to-market function in my mind, right? Which is customer success. And I think most listeners to this podcast would agree with that. While support is a, is a reactive piece of the, the puzzle, it's critical to customer success, but it's not. So I don't know, I'm splitting hairs, but no, no, that, no, I think it's a good, no, I think it's a good call out. Do you, um, is this something that you, you know, in, in the, the roles that you're in and the types of, um, you know, meetings that you have with executive teams, um, are you, are you so much worried about how much percent you know, cost we have compared to the revenue or, you, or do you look at other things when you, when you think about budget and planning and like going into 20 important to you when you're looking at some of those decisions that you have to make? Yeah, um, definitely, definitely concerned with these numbers, but it's really more of the, 
of the of the ratios overall that you might find on an income statement. So the cost of goods sold, fifteen percent. Like the the opposite way to look at that is total gross margin for the business, right? That that yeah. is a that's a key metric for a SaaS company, and SaaS companies are traditionally super high gross margin, right? And and yeah. you know, they may not be very profitable on the bottom line. Some are. Of course, the more mature they are, that they they tend to be more profitable, or the slower growing, the the more profitable they tend to be, or can be. <laughs> but um, but it's really about making sure that that gross margin number is in line. And then if you're saying, okay, if you if you take, let's say, the gross margin of the business is eighty percent, right, which means cost of goods sold total is about twenty percent of the entire thing, then you look at that 20% and say, okay, where are we spending the 20% on, on gross margin? Is it in customer success? Is it in support? Is it on infrastructure to host the, the platform? That that goes into cost of goods sold as well, right? So like yep. AWS or if you use Azure, th- those, kind of, those kind of expenses go in that bucket. So then you start breaking it apart and saying, okay, where do we need to be better? If we need that, that percentage to be 82% or 85%, then you start peeling it apart and figuring out where you can where you can drive efficiency um, in in your gross margin number. So I think that that's the way we look at it. We do have a target gross margin for our business. I'm not going to say it out loud here, but like there is a target gross margin, and we will make adjustments to help get in there. But we look across all that. In our case, it's mostly the CX team. And that's all of our implementation support, customer success, and then those other costs, those hosting costs that, that go into that gross margin piece for us. So yeah. I think it's going to be the same for any company. It's, um, it's interesting though, too, because I think the, the mindset shifts, I think, I think you had mentioned this, but I think, um, you know, we did a bunch of consulting uh, a number of years ago and we were looking at, you know, series A companies, series B. And so when you start to think, right, the profile of uh, the company and the funding and the health of the the financial the financial health of the business, um, I think changes how like some of the leaders that can be successful in those companies, right? Kind of early on, it's you're trying to probably just um, figure out, okay, I mean, you know, you need to add bodies if you're early on. You're probably taking on funding to do that, and then you're just kind of, all right, cool. Like I just get to, I don't know. It's it's probably uh, a lot of things are being said yes to, um, so you're kind of just all right. Let's just add here, add there, and then you're um, kind of before you know it, you're just kind of moving and going and then i think as you get more mature like you said now it's hey we can't just continually um add 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 right we're, we're actually looking at um some, some more of the financial health of the business here to say okay are we adding in the right place what type of values is actually adding to the the business to the customer outcome um can we hit certain metrics that we need to and so it's um, a little bit of a mindset shift and so as a leader you probably have to shift the mentality of uh, okay now as we get more mature as a business there's got to be a little bit more in terms of um the business plan that I'm bringing to the table. Why does this, why does this position matter? What type of um, like ROI can, can we expect from this? Why is this going to be beneficial? And so that's where I also think um, from a leadership standpoint, like understanding where you are as a business is important to you as a leader, because now in one environment, they're probably asking me to go really fast and, and it's probably a little bit more loose, right? Like I don't need as much of a business case. It's probably um, an email here, there, a couple of things. As you get more mature, it's it's a lot more. Hey, we actually need to do some data analysis here. We need to dig into the metrics, and we need to show if I add this role, if I add this type of cost, where's what's it going to be impacting? Because that starts to matter. It needs to be a little bit more documented because we need to share it across the the business a little bit more religiously. 
Yeah, documented and vetted for sure. But um, what, what, when you were just, it, it's really important. What you just said is really important for CS leaders to know, especially if you're looking at taking a new job, like you have to understand the state of the, that the company is in that you're looking at, right? So there's this thing called the rule of 40. You know this, right? You've, you and I have talked about this and it's, it's sort of well-known out there, but the rule of 40 says, if you take the bottom line profitability of the business percentage-wise, so if, you're, if you have 20% profitability and you're growing at 20% year over year, then those two numbers together equal 40, you've hit the rule of 40. So the rule of 40 is something that investors look at to determine if you've got the right mix of growth and profitability. So like, like I said, like you were just talking about too, like you can, you can grow at 40% a year and have zero profitability and you've met the rule of 40, like that's okay. But if you're not growing at 40% of the year, a year, you better be more profitable, right? So the lower the, pro- the lower the growth, the higher the profitability needs to be to sort of offset that. And, that, and then the valuation sort of shifts from, from all growth, right? You see some of these companies like Snowflake went public a year ago. Um, so a, a lot of these cloud-based companies going public, they're growing at like 100, 200% per year and their valuations are just absolutely through the roof, right? You look at their income statement, they're burning tons of cash. They're yep. not anywhere close to profitable. However, that doesn't matter right now, right? But when that growth slows, they better have a plan for being profitable or, or be working toward profitability. So now you really get in big trouble. And I've been in one of these before too, when growth slows and you're highly unprofitable and you're burning cash, that's, you don't want to ever be there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not, not the right spot to be in. Um, yeah. If you actually keep scrolling down in this um, article, they start breaking down a couple of things that are interesting. I think that we're getting into. So they looked at whether the company was bootstrapped or it was equity backed. If it had at least a million dollars in ARR, it kind of breaks down the cost. So like you said, the cost of goods sold, um, and actually in this case, it excludes support and success. Um, so it's relatively the same, 15% to 14% bootstrap versus equity. Customer yep. success support, 11% versus 12%. So relatively the same. One thing that's interesting though, is that um, bootstrap companies are growing with at least a million dollars in ARR. They're growing at 22% per year. When you have venture capital, it's growing at 32% per year. So you get a 10% bump and, you know, that comes with, you know, the equity that you're getting, you're probably adding more people. There's more fuel in the fire. Maybe you're getting more sales. Like there's ways that you're accomplishing that. But I thought that was, um, was pretty interesting here. The, um, the other thing that if you keep scrolling down that I thought was interesting, just like you mentioned about the growth. So the next chart down, it shows median spend by higher growth versus lower growth. Um, and so that to me is is um, pretty interesting in terms of where you're looking at below median growth and above median growth and um, bootstrap versus equity. So this is complicated to talk for, via um, a podcast about this chart, right. but yeah, I just is. think it's interesting how um, they broke this down. You know, I think there's some surveys out there that just kind of throw a top line number at you and they just kind of leave it there, but they're at least trying to break down differences in businesses, the growth, the type of equity and funding that it has. So uh, I think this is starting to get pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I wish I had read this article before we hopped on here. There's like so much in this. But there is. the one thing I was just thinking is, is the difference between 22% and 32% growth per year that significant? Like I would choose 22% bootstrap, keeping all the equity in that business any day over 32% and having to give away a significant chunk. Like that's just, I would expect the growth rate to be higher. For I was, that's what I thought too. Yeah. 
I, I was expecting, I mean, if, if we're taking, like you said, if we're giving up substantial equity in the picture and the, the trade-off there is now I'm getting, you know, dollars into the business that I can invest, I would expect like we're doubling or tripling that, that rate above a bootstrap company. You know, I, I would expect us to be growing at 40 something percent or 60% almost like if we're going to be taking on the, taking on the money and, and kind of giving up the, the share of equity. Yeah, because think about it, that that would dictate the valuation of the business, right? And yeah. you have to get a much higher valuation for giving away the equity to make, you know, if you're a, if you're a founder of this business or a, an owner of it. So your stake has to be higher to make any money off of it. So now we're getting into like investor territory here, which, you know, full full disclosure, neither one of us are like seasoned <laughs> investors, although we, you know, we we've we've watched it on TV. We we uh, have been around it. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that um, I just noticed on this is that SaaS spending by ARR levels, I think these are mostly smaller companies because they only go up to up to 20 million and then more than 20 million. So they put everything above 20 million in one bucket, which tells me that this this um, this thing probably skews towards smaller yep. A, Series B type companies, which is not a problem. It's just interesting. Yeah. Um, so where I got to this from was actually the other article that I tagged in there. So there's a, I read this uh, one, the Forbes the future, article. Yeah. The future of customer success belongs to the handyman, not the toolbox, which is a, I actually think a, a yeah. pretty cool title um, that's in there. But I think, uh, you know, if you were kind of boiling this down, I think at the end of the day, what they're trying to talk about is just the value of customer success in that, um, you know, if you're the, the handyman who can provide value, you're coming in, you're listening to problems, you're trying to understand the customer, you're trying to understand what they're trying to achieve, you can do that really well, then that's where customer success becomes a really big catalyst for the business, right? If you can do that well, listen, understand challenges, provide value, drive outcomes, then you're going to start to see that resonate in the valuation of the business and the revenue and the, the uh, retention that we can achieve. So there's a good, good little article that I found on Forbes. Yeah, it's cool. And it reminds me of um, it reminds me of something I saw the other day or a conversation that I was having about where the best CSMs come from. And yeah, I mean, there's all the things that you need to be able to do. Like you need to know how to have crucial conversations with a customer and run an EBR and, um, you know, talk about value and all that kind of stuff. But really, the interesting thing is it, the more the CSM knows about the industry. And if they come from the industry, then that's a real game changer. We actually just hired a CSM that comes from one of the industries we serve. I don't know if you even know this, Jeff. Um, and she is like, she's even looking at our stuff internally, like our onboarding and training and saying, yeah, this is, it's pretty good, but you're missing the point in these areas. And so I'm going to help you, you know, sort of tailor that. And figure. So basically it's helping us know the customer better because we have someone who was a customer you know, in our market now as part of our team, I think more and more people always ask as well, like, how do you get into customer success? To me, that's it. Like whatever, whatever industry you've been in, if you've been a teacher, if you um, have been in uh, manufacturing, if you, um, I don't know, you name it, whatever industry you've had a trade or you've worked in, like there's a SaaS company that, that does something in that industry. I promise you, there's probably 15 of them. Yeah. So go seek out those, those companies where your domain knowledge is really, really valuable. And on the flip side, if you like us work in one of those companies, we should be looking for people out of those industries um, to come and add to the domain knowledge of the business and That's teach them all the other stuff. Right. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's actually, you know, um, one of the things I'm trying to convince my wife to do as she uh, goes in her career, you know, she's a uh, physician assistant and she, I'm like, hey, one day when you don't want to have to go into an office and uh, you want to do something more virtual and be able to have flexibility and, and be able to work from home a little bit more, hey, you know, we should look for a software company that you could go do this for. Um, I, it's actually really funny you bring this up. I was talking yesterday, we were, I was recording a, a podcast with a, um, a woman named Christine Lavery, who works at a company called SecureWorks. And uh, we were talking about CSMs. And one of the things that we were talking about was this concept or the idea of, like you said, you know, who makes a good CSM. And the thing that I kept coming back to is um, somebody who is just naturally curious. I know that's really hard to find in people, but like, you know, um, if you have a CSM who or someone, like you said, they come from the industry, but also like, you know, we're a SaaS business, right? If you know some of the things that we were just talking about, the financials of a SaaS business, you understand how some of those metrics work. You understand the inner workings. Um, you understand how um, teams might, you know, operate between one another. Um, think about what, you know, that curiosity gets you is now, okay, you understand the different teams internally. You know how they work functionally. You know how the business is going to be valued. You know the types of decisions that they might be making. Think about how much more value you could provide to the business now or your customer, because if you inherently know those things, then great. I should be able to take what our software does and figure out, okay, where does it exactly plug into the business? And now how do you, how are you going to make decisions off of it? Um, you know, what systems is it connected to? Where else are you using the data to make decisions internally at the company? Who else might be involved just um, anecdotally? Maybe they not, not, might, might not even be a user, but where's the data touching at the end of the day? Like all those types of things just become to me, that part of that natural curiosity where, yeah, you can have playbooks and stuff that do that, but by and large, the people who are just interested in understanding the inner workings of businesses are like great people to try and find. If you can, if you can figure out a way to craft your interview process and questions that can kind of get at the heart of, do, do you like to understand the inner workings of things like that to me, it seems like a, another critical element, like you said, like the industry expertise. And then do you have this curiosity that uh, you can dive into? Hello, Gang Rotane. This is Jeff. You might be listening to the show today for many reasons. Maybe you're looking to learn something new. Maybe you're looking to listen to a speaker that you love, or maybe you're driving and the co-pilot has control of the radio. Whatever the case is, I wanted to tell you about HubSpot's CRM platform and some new pieces that improve the customer experience. First, customer intelligence tools that help your teams get real-time insight into calls through automatic recording, transcription, and analysis. Think about the types of conversations and coaching that you can do with your customer teams Next is easy share meeting links, which let your customers see availability and book meetings with you all from the HubSpot platform. The last improved data hygiene, and that always is needed in a CRM platform. So learn more about how you can transform your customer experience with a HubSpot CRM platform at HubSpot.com. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's just all the context around it. That's, that's where we often, I think, miss um, miss, miss the point with, with our customers is we don't understand the full context. So, yeah. Um, all right. So we, another piece, I'm just going to call out real quick. Well, we can kind of breeze by this, but uh, I saw, um, a post recently about a company called, um, Samsara and actually I have a friend who works there. Um, so I know a little bit about the company, you know, they're, a, um, kind of a logistics company. They do a lot of, um, technology that's built around, uh, logistics industry, helping, the trucking type companies understand, you know, where their trucks are on the road, uh, make sure that they're um, hitting on some of these uh, regulations and rules that are, that are in there. So um, I actually pulled this post out from Saster 
interesting. I mean, they've basically eclipsed, I think it's 500 million in revenue over like a six year time horizon right now, which is, seems pretty incredible. Um, 72% growth rate. So just like you said, the rule of 40 there, they're knocking rule of 40 out of the, uh, you know, almost, almost doubling it there. But the one, public? this, are they, uh, they're, they are not public yet. I think they are, I think they're, um, about to go public, um, soon. So I think they're, I think they're starting to release some metrics and things. Um, yeah, they seek us IPO, uh, here pretty soon. So they're, I think they're starting to prepare some of these things and releasing some metrics and kind of getting the market excited. Uh, about the business, but the one interesting piece that I just wanted to, um, that I thought to pull out and maybe have a quick conversation with you about is this, this stat right here, which is they went from 64 customers who were paying hundred thousand dollars in ARR to in 2019. So two years ago to 715 today, they almost lit, I mean, literally added almost 700 customers paying over hundred thousand um, dollars, in ARR. And so I'm just in my mind, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, what does that do to a customer success team when you're adding what seemingly seems like a, a huge amount of AR that, that seems like I'm just going to, you know, that seems like almost over indexing on high touch type model. I mean, if we have customers that are paying that much and expecting something from our service. So I'm just curious as a leader for you, if you, if you kind of see, okay, in two years, we're, you know, going from 64 customers, we're paying us over a hundred thousand to 715. Is there anything that, is there anything that you're trying to do as a leader to, I mean, that, that to me just seems like a monumental shift, yeah. but is there anything that you're thinking about? Uh, oh, you, I mean, the, the whole, the whole, the whole play there is enablement, enablement, recruiting, onboarding, training, like th those are the things that I mean. Even even a company who's not growing at that rate, which you know, Higher Logic is not growing at seventy two percent annually, compounding like this company is. We're growing at a nice clip, but not like that. <laughs> and enablement is still really important for us because. You have turnover in your teams, you have new products coming out, like to be able to help people understand what we're doing as a company and what the products are doing and what the motions are. And, and even like we just talked about, at some point, you can't hire industry people fast enough Yeah, either, right? So you have to be able to train people on both industry and product and internal processes and all that kind of stuff. So to me, like that whole game like the thing to get really, really good at at that kind of growth rate is recruiting, onboarding, training, enablement. And so it's, a, it's a cycle, right? It doesn't ever stop. It's just, it's just going. So I bet you they have a, a an amazing enablement function there. I, I would, I would hope, or, or it's complete chaos. Um, I, that That's what I was hoping you'd say, because I, I think it's interesting, right? You, when you, um, as you start your career, right, you kind of look at the leaders above you and you must be thinking, man, uh, they must be spending eight hours a day in strategic meetings and making, you know, all these crucial decisions for the business. Like that's just, I think inherently what people think of, like when they see a, a manager or a director or a, a chief executive officer or whatever, right? Like, yep. oh, they must be making so many decisions. And then as you start going, you start realizing how much, how much time you're spending on the people side of the business, right? Like it really yeah. becomes like, just like you said, like in this case, like, yes, we need to go get it right for these 715 customers that are paying us hundred thousand dollars or more. But the way to get it right is to hire the right people and become the best recruiter in the game. And so I, I almost think like it's, you know, as you start to move into leadership and you start becoming uh, higher up in these companies, like, sure, half of it is spending on, okay, are we making the right strategic decisions where the business is going? Are we saying the right things to the market? Are we doing the right things for customers? But the other half is, do I have the right butts in the right seats? And how do we make sure that we're continually recruiting? Because like you said, 
in today's job market, you know, it's, it's uh, competitive out there and yeah. B there's, there's inherently just always going to be turnover. If you hire, you know, if you hire and say, Oh, my team is set in another week or two, you're going to have something that happens. So like, there's gotta be this continuous motion that you're going through. So I'm glad you said that. Cause that's what I was hoping you'd say, because I think, I, I just don't think people realize it as much until you're in the, as you start to get in those leadership missions or leadership positions, how much you talk about the people, the employees, the, the recruiting, like it, you talk about it so much because it becomes critical for the success. Cause you have to work through other people, right? That's the, that's part of becoming a leader is that you're working through other people. You're trying to make sure that they've got the right messaging, the right tools, the right things to go accomplish what we need to, but you're not on the front lines anymore. You need to make sure that they're enabled to go do those things. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't cover that much ground as a leader. Like you gotta, you gotta hire the right people. Um, we were in, uh, we had a board meeting yesterday and, you know, of course, you know, I'm sure every company is having these same conversations in their, in their board meetings about, you know, the quote unquote great resignation. And, you know, what are the things that, you know, we see, you know, our board members, cause they see a lot of companies, right. And they have a lot of board meetings every quarter. And so what are the things that they're seeing? And one of our board members, really astute observation said the, 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 the biggest, it, there isn't a silver bullet, but if there's something close to it, it's recruit being the best at recruiting and finding, you know, bringing in, attracting the right, you know, excellent talent, basically, which is sort of a, seems like a no brainer when I say it back, but to be able to, to be able to be really good with your employer brand, have, have a team that can attract the right kind of people, because if you have, you know, junior managers, you're, you're scrappy, you know, that they're inexperienced, that's going to show in the recruiting process. And so the companies that have a, an advantage right now, I think are companies that do have a mature leadership team um, that have a plan and a strategy that have management skill set. especially as we make the shift from a lot of companies are going fully virtual like we are, right? Like, how do you manage in that environment? You have to have a higher level of um, you, your team really has to be doing some things differently there. And that shows even in the interview process, a lot of the people we've hired over the past 18 months, how many have we hired? I don't know, 50, 60 people, probably more, uh, just in the CX area at higher logic. We've, we've hired them all virtually. We've never met these people in person. Right. And so, yep. uh, but anyway, I thought that was a really astute, uh, observation on their part. And, and, uh, it just sort of solidified for me what, what we're trying to do, you know, as, yeah. as part of our strategy. The, um, yeah, the other reason that this was interesting too, is, um, if you've seen, obviously Facebook has rebranded to meta and Zuckerberg had a, um, he had an interview that he did with Gary Vaynerchuk in the last oh, week or that. so maybe, he um, like in that interview. Yeah. Well, it, but part of it, uh, Gary kind of called it out, right. He said, Hey, part of this, part of you kind of changing the brand and trying to give this vision is, and, and Zuckerberg kind of came out and said it, you know, hey, we're actually trying to attract the best talent and attracting the best talent means having a clear vision, um, setting aspirational goals, making it a place that people want to come, right? You're, you're becoming like a, an attraction. And so that's the other reason I thought that was an interesting, like you just said, like becoming a really good recruiter, what's your brand, um, how you engage with your employees, like those are all things that um, are becoming more and more critical. And, you know, those, those things matter, especially, I mean, you know, I think all the time, you know, we're worried about customers, right? Uh, customer word of mouth. Um, what are our customers saying about us? Do we have enough advocates? Do we have enough, all this stuff, right? I mean, think about that from the employee side, right? I mean, you can, you need to make sure your employees are doing the same thing. Is, is this a great place to work? Advocates first. 
Yeah. Yep. It should be your uh, first. So, so I thought it was just an interesting uh, Saster. If you go look at Jason Lemkin's account, he'll, you can see the Samsara timeline and stuff that he throws up there. So there's some good good metrics there. Crazy man. Um, right. I don't think we don't have a lot of time to get into these other 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 topics. You want to push them to next week? Yeah, we can. This is a good good starting though. I like the um, I like talking about stuff that we're finding and seeing because I think people will find it interesting and they'll probably go find these articles and things. We can link them in the, the show notes as well so that people can get to them. But I think yep. talking about the things that are relevant um, and trying to, to put perspective on them and give a little bit of taste. So I liked it. what do you think of today? Yeah, no, I, I like it. I think it's good. Um, and just so everybody knows, like w- one of the, like the, the general format we're going to start with here is we're, we're going to try to find one leader that we want to spend a little time on. So we're all sort of like brainstorming on that during the week. One company, which is which has impressed you, which Jeff brought Samsara up, clearly impressive, good find. And then, um, and then what we want to do a little bit more of is what we call opening up the kimono. So, um, just basically sharing something that we're working on internally in our in our current jobs that we can really, you know, share publicly and get feedback on and 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 brainstorm on live uh, with with. Christy usually and, and with us together. So I, I think the format's going to be good. And if people have ideas for us uh, on any of those, please, please send them around to us. All right, cool. Yeah, we will. Um, we'll wrap this one up. And All right. We'll see you next time. Yep. See ya. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.